the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get Ethan. The following program is sponsored. Truth Rated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy presents a study in Ecclesiastes. What is our life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Your life is a breath on a cold winter's morning. And that's rather disconcerting, isn't it? You think that you're somebody who's arrived somewhere. But apart from God, it's all nothing. And the day of judgment will prove that. And life will prove that. Bible depicts King Solomon as the man who had it all, wealth, power, and position. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon himself warns that none of these things satisfy. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. In today's study, Philip explains that in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon lays aside his crown to take up the role of the preacher. He's sounding a warning telling us, stop, don't go down a dead-end path. Philip picks up again in chapter 1 in a message titled, The Road to Nowhere. We come back to the text of Ecclesiastes. We've just started a series of sermons entitled The Quest for the Best. Solomon had the resources and the opportunity to enjoy everything this world has to offer. In fact, for most of his reign, he sat on top of a pot of gold. He lived the dream that most of us are dreaming. And I think we need to sit up and listen. There's not anything you want he didn't have. Think of Solomon in all his glory. The food he ate, the clothes he wore, the rooms he slept in, the things he enjoyed, the vacations he took, his summer home, his winter home. But he says it's all vanity. You name it, he had it. You name it, he did it. You name it, he tried it. And he's here to tell us that everything was nothing. When a man like Solomon finds life unsatisfying... It should make us sit up and take note. The path that we are on as a culture is the path that he got off. See, our culture defines substance and significance in the things that you possess. You've made it in Southern California if you've got a nice home and a couple of cars and you're paying your kids through a good education where you can sit and enjoy fine food on a Friday night or a Saturday night. You've made it. Solomon says, you've made nothing in the light of eternity. It's all nothing set against the backdrop of heaven. And so we need to listen. We need to listen to a man that got off the road we're on. And he stands, as we said last time, in front of us waving a red flag, trying to redirect our direction. Let's look at the text 
We've got the preacher qualified to address the issue. What's his text? Verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I don't know if you've thought about this, but everybody has a life verse, a life text. This is Solomon's. When I think of Paul, I think of Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When I think of David, I think of a man after God's own heart. When I think of um, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, I think of Romans 1, that the just shall live by faith. When I think of John Wesley, I think of that verse in the letter to Jude, that John Wesley was a brand plucked from the burning because he almost died in his father's parsonage, but he was plucked out of the fire and became a great evangelist. Everybody's got a life verse. And this is Solomon's. This is the man who sat on the roof of the world, and yet he felt like he was in the pits. That's his verse. This is his text. Without warning, right out the gate, right out the chute, Solomon pushes us into the deep end of the pool. I mean, he doesn't, it's not like he lets us down gently. It's not like there's some kind of theological preamble here. It's not like Solomon sets the book up with some kind of prologue or preamble. No. Hey, I'm the preacher. I'm the son of David. I'm the king of Jerusalem. Life is truly the pits. It's problematic. It's fleeting. It's a worry. It's a wisp. It doesn't last that long, and it doesn't make any more sense the longer you live it. That's his point. And there's this rude awakening. It's, it's, it's like he just grabs us by the lapels. Do you ever feel that on a Monday morning or a Friday afternoon? You go, what's this all about? Is there any profit and purpose to all my labor under the sun? You know, what's the point of setting the alarm and getting up early and doing a hard day's work? Life is full of injustice and equity. And even if you work hard and make something of your life, you're going to leave it to your sons. And if he's an idiot, <laughs> it's a fact. Solomon left all that he had to Rehoboam, who spoiled the kingdom and divided Israel. He'll talk about that. We'll get into all of this. This is such an exciting book. Solomon wants us to deal with life. As he plunged into the depths of life, he, he, uh, he comes back to tell us that, you know what, without God, you have that drowning feeling. And I want you to know here that Solomon is being cruel to be kind. We'll see this and we'll mention it a few times as we go along. Solomon isn't a professor here, kind of sequestered away in the rarefied air of some isolated academic hall. Now, this is a preacher. This is a street smart preacher who's addressing an audience in the royal court, and he's given them the straight scoop on life. No theological premise to the book, no background from Old Testament text, just a rude, realistic opening. He'll go on to talk about that. Now, there's a bait and switch that goes on throughout this book. He begins with a perspective under the sun. We'll see this next time. He's kind of, for sake of argument, ruling God out. And remember, it's not just talk, it's testimony. He did that. And he says, when you rule God out, right, and you try to find life beneath the sun amidst the creation, you're going to find that it sucks the life out of you. And you're left all dried up. Solomon starts with the bad news, and he primes our pump for the good news. This is the text, vanity of vanities. This is the sentence that strikes the theme of the book. Apart from God, people ultimately gain nothing from their toil. Life when all has been said and done is pointless 
and profitless apart from God. Do you notice the double emphasis mentioned twice in the book? In verse 2, vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. There's a double mention of the Hebrew word here, hevel, translated vanity. It's an idiomatic expression in the Hebrew that carries the idea of something being superlative, beyond, above, something more than the normal. You get that, don't you, when we talk about that part of the temple reserved for God's presence? What's it called? The holy of holies. When we read of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, he's described as the king of kings. It's a, it's, it's a Hebraic expression. It's a linguistic way of expressing the superlative nature. It gives something emphasis. It sets it apart. It's all vanity, vanity, vanity. Life is the supreme vapor, the ultimate wisp. Only for a few moments, let's look at this word more closely, vanity. It's a key word. It's a magnet around which many of Solomon's thoughts um, will adhere. It's mentioned 38 times in the book. Linguistically, it's like a greased pig. Maybe not around here, but when we were in Ohio, we'd go to the county fair or the state fair, and you always got, you know, the, the greased pig thing. Where they grease this little pig or piglet and it runs around the pan and you got these rednecks running around trying to grab it. It actually looked good, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. But this is a term, this is a term that's like a greased pig. It's hard to get your hands around. It's got nuances to it. It's got different shades of meaning, levels of understanding. But I think you can boil it down to two basic ideas. Remember, it's the Hebrew word hevel. And first of all, the word speaks of the fragility of life, and then it speaks of the futility of life. Literally, hevel means breath. If you're just a straight translation, breath or vapor. And I think it denotes the fragile, fleeting nature of our existence. Life is short-lived. We're here and we're gone. At times it seems long. But in the scheme of things, it's a blip on the radar screen of history. It's just um, something that's transitory and passing. You see this. Go to Job chapter 7 and verse 7. As Job describes his life, his existence, he says this, Oh, remember that my life is a breath. It's our word, Hevel. Vapor, breath. My life is a breath. Can you imagine that? James will pick that up, won't they, in James chapter 4, verse 14. What is our life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Your life, in the scheme of things, set in contrast to eternity and other things, your life is the breath on a cold winter's morning. This was a theme that the psalmist picks up, David Solomon's father picks up. In Psalm 39... And uh, verse 5, we read this. Indeed, you have made my days as hands breadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. It's our word, breath, vapor. I mean, hey, you take all your pills, you walk three times a week, you cut down on your carbs. All right, we'll give you the 85, even 90. There you go, 90. But in your best state, 
measured against God, set against eternity, placed within history, your life is a breath. A breath. And that's rather disconcerting, isn't it? If you don't handle that well, if your life isn't attached to an eternal God and the realities of eternal life, that can be rather disrupting and disconcerting to think, you know what? In the scheme of things, what does your life amount to? A breath. And at times, you get a sense of that in everything that you do. Is it going to last? Is it worth it? And then you ask yourself, is life worth it? And that's where people get to and where people find themselves today. And Solomon has been there and he's addressing this as the preacher, the teacher. This is his text, Vanity of Vanities, which reminds us right to seize the day. We cannot waste time. We cannot mark time. We need to redeem time for the days are evil. And we would add in the light of Ecclesiastes, fleeting Everybody else is doing evil. Let us do good, and we don't have long to do it. So let's get about it. That's why David Brainard, the New England missionary, said, Lord, keep me from lingering on my way to heaven. You've got to make your days count, and you've got to count your days. Second thought, the word speaks of the fragility of life, and the word speaks of the futility of life. The literal meaning is breath. The metaphorical meaning is that which is insubstantial, that which is weightless, like breath itself. Try and put your hands around a puff of smoke. Try and hold it. Try and feel its weight. It's insubstantial. It's it's fleeting and it's insubstantial. It's nothing really. It looks like something, but it's nothing. And that's the point that Solomon wants to get across. Life at times can be so insubstantial, weightless, Oh, you think you've got a ton of stuff. You think that you're somebody who's arrived somewhere. But apart from God, it's all nothing. And the day of judgment will prove that. And life will prove that. This word carries the idea of that which is worthless. In fact, it's used in Deuteronomy 32, 21 of false gods. Deuteronomy 32, 21, let me read it. As God takes Israel to task, reminds them of the consequences of of failing to put other gods before him. They have provoked me to jealousy, says God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. There's our word, foolish. Vain idols, futile idols. And I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Why would God call idols vain or foolish. It's our word here, Havel. Because you think you have something with an idol, but you've actually nothing with an idol. Because an idol is nothing. Right? Psalm 115, verse 4 through 8. God says of the idols that men make after their own image, that they have eyes, see not, ears, hear not, mouths, speak not. So some pagans got his little Buddha or whatever it is back then on his mantelpiece. It looks like something, but it's nothing. It's vain, futile, worthless. And life can be like that. Just when you think you've got something that you've got somewhere, it's nothing. It's a puff of smoke. It's breath. It's vapor. It's vain. Life is not lasting. 
and it is empty of significance and substance. The way I like to illustrate this idea of of vanity, speaking metaphorically about how life at times and the things we give ourselves to can be so weightless and worthless, is, is a stick of cotton candy. All right? Love it. I love it. When I'm at a state fair, the Orange County fairgrounds, love a stick of cotton candy. And it looks so much, you know, you have two hours to go and it looks like, you know what, it'll take me two hours to get through this thing. It's like a hairdo on a stick. Just there it is. But as soon as your tongue touches it, that which looks like so much, looks like, you know what, you could chew on this thing for a couple of hours, is nothing. Good metaphor for life sometimes. You know what? So many things hold promise. And they look like they're worth something and worth giving your life to and having and expanding yourself to get it. And it's all a stick of cotton candy. It's all vanity. Fleeting, passing, insubstantial. When you get down to it, there's nothing much to anything apart from God. Ecclesiastes tells us there is not a single slice of life that is not thoroughly stained and pained by futility. Paul will pick that theme up, won't he? In Romans chapter 8 where he talks about the creation being subject to futility. Once man rebelled against God, life was subject to futility. Things became harder than they should have been, less satisfying than they could be. And Solomon tells us, you know what? I walked the halls hallways of learning. I walked the corridors of power. I I sat on the merry-go-round of pleasure. I climbed the ladder of success, and I'm here to tell you I'm Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher. I can tell you both from my head and from my heart that you know what? Nothing satisfied. Those things come up short. I was left with a hole in my soul because I was seeking life within life. Instead of seeking the giver of life. I limited my options to things under the sun. When I should have been in fellowship with the God above the sun. I sat on the roof of the world. I had it all. But I really had hevel. Nothing. It was vanity. I still crave for something more Solomon will tell us that's because we've got eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. The conclusion of the matter is to fear God. Life begins in fearing God. Let me share a couple of stories just to bring this home. Jack Higgins, the famous author of the bestseller, The Eagle Has Landed, says the one thing he knows now that he wishes he had known when he was a boy is this. When you get to the top, there's nothing there. In fact, that's very dramatically expressed in the story of John Krakauer, the journalist who was part of an expedition that reached the top of Everest, May 1996. They lost some climbers um, during that expedition, and and Krakauer records it in his book, Into Thin Air. He begins his account, May 10th, 1996, listen to John, as he reaches the highest spot in the world. Straddling the top of the world, one foot in China, the other foot in Nepal. I cleared the ice from my oxygen mask, hunched the shoulder against the wind, and stared absently down at the vastness of Tibet. I'd been 
fantasizing about this moment and the release of emotion that would accompany it for many months. But now that I was finally here, actually standing on the summit of Everest, I just can't summon the energy to care. I snapped four quick photos, then turned and headed down. My watch read 1.17 p.m. All told, I'd spent less than five minutes on the roof of the world. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are trying to climb onto the roof of the world to get somewhere in your business, to get somewhere in life, to top your class, to find the love of your life. And all of those things have their place in life once dedicated to God. But my friend, if you climb to the top of the world, apart from the God who is above the sun, it'll last for about five minutes. And then you'll slide down into despair. And you'll have to pick yourself up and climb some other mountain. And it will keep going until you're spent. Until you realize that apart from God, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear and a will to obey your word that meets us on the street corner, on the path to some supposed success. And Solomon, like Lady Wisdom herself, is crying out to us to buy the truth and sell it not, to listen and to listen to someone who knows what he's talking about, someone who climbed to the top of the world, who sat on the roof of the world and found it to be oh so disappointing because this world is not enough for those made in the image of God, those whose hearts ache for eternity. Oh God, help us to get off the path our culture is on, not to take to the path that Solomon walked. It's a dead end. Help us to realize that life begins in the fear of God and in following God, that that God made us and God knows what's good for us and there's no great good outside of a good and a great God. Lord, help us to give ourselves to you afresh. Help us to enjoy all things in their proper place, but help us not to love this present world or the things of this world, but help us to love the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Those who made us, Lord, help us indeed to find our proper environment in a relationship with God. For these things we pray and ask in His name. Amen. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Philip is continuing a rich and meaningful study of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you missed any part of today's message, listen again online at ktt.org or order the complete Quest for the Best study on CD when you call 888-644-8811. Now, it's no exaggeration that Know the Truth wouldn't be here without you. It's the financial support of faithful listeners that make it possible for us to share the bold and convicting Bible teaching of Philip DeCourcy all through the year. And today, we hope you'll stand with us by making a generous donation to keep Know the Truth coming to you and others in your community. And when you give today, we'll send you Philip's newest book, addressing an all-too-common problem in our culture today. Anxiety plagues students, business people, mothers and fathers, pastors and retirees alike. So Philip has written a book that erases anxiety with the truth of Scripture. The book is called, Help, I'm Anxious. 
Now, Philip isn't just telling you to stop your worrying. He's given you specific guidelines from Scripture to calm your nerves by claiming God's peace. Request the book, Help, I'm Anxious, when you make a generous donation of $25 or more to the ministry of Know the Truth. There's just a few more days to get this February resource, so call 888-644-8811. Or give and request the book online at ktt.org. And when you visit our website, be sure to connect to our KTT Facebook page and use your Facebook to share Philip's messages with friends. You can do that by downloading the KTT app and posting messages or texting them directly to your friends. Do your part to help others know the truth. Learn more at ktt.org. So glad you joined us today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow to discover the real meaning of life revealed in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's coming up Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. You cannot live wrong. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.